This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, the Orioles flirt with the wrong side of history. Who is really to blame for the 76ers flame out against the Hawks? Congress lands a blow to the NCAA. Lightning and Islanders play a pivotal Game 5 in Tampa, and an NFL player breaks his silence and comes out. All of that and more coming up in the uh, next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off this terrific Tuesday morning. Hold on. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Check out our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush. My Twitter page at Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word C. Our Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All three of those pages, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them anytime you want. Drop me a line. Question, comment, opinion, whatever. If you are moved to do so, we encourage you to do so. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this Tuesday. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials. If you missed any part of it, it's up there every show, except for one. What was that, about a month ago, we had some technical difficulties. Couldn't record the show. There's one show missing out of, I guess it's almost been two years, right? It's getting close. It's hard to believe I survived this two years. <laughs> August 19th will be two years of this show, believe it or not. So anyway, uh, several ways to get involved uh, on the show. I'm a little bit, uh, I'm just thrown off today. I'm thrown off today. I know it's it's early. I just I know what's waiting for me after this show is over. We've had some technical issues with other stations and other things. And I, I just know when I'm done here at 8, that's going to take up most of my time. But, you know, I have other things that I need to get done. I have other things that I need to do before I get out of here. And I just, I know what's waiting for me on the other side. And you, you know, you know that, right? You know when you go into work and you know you have like a big uh, issue that needs resolved or you know that something is waiting in the wings. You just you do dread it, right? Because you just know that most of your day is going to be just absorbed by that particular thing. And that's what's waiting for me when I'm done here. And I'm just not looking forward to it at all. Just not. Anyway. Let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! Thank you, uh... D. Snyder. And we start with Major League Baseball, where the Orioles and Astros kicked off a three-game series last night in Baltimore. Next pitch, slug to center field. Straw going back at the 
track at the wall. No hitter over. Shutout over. Orioles on the board. Franco with a two-run homer into the bullpen. It is 10-2 Houston, and there will be no no-no tonight at Camden Yards. That was the call on 105.7 The Fan. That was the only good news of the night for the Orioles. Uh, Michael Franco uh, breaking up a combined no-hitter in the eighth inning in Baltimore's 10-2 loss to Houston. Uh, Jake Odorizzi and reliever Christian Javier held the O's hitless through seven innings. Then they sat through a 41-minute rain delay. Uh, Brandon Belak came on in the eighth hit Austin Hayes with a pitch, and then gave up the home run to Franco. I keep on wanting to call him Franco, and it's really aggravating. Steve Wilkerson followed up with a single for Baltimore's only other hit of the night. They had two hits and scored two runs and lost by eight. Uh, Keegan Aiken, uh, not a good outing for him. He allowed five runs in four-plus innings. He is now 0-3 on the year. Elsewhere, the Nationals and Pirates were both off yesterday. Tonight, the red-hot Nats and red-hot Kyle Schwarber opens a two-game series at Philadelphia. Washington has won eight out of the last ten games. Schwarber was named National League Player of the Week yesterday, first time in his career he has earned that honor. After he hit six home runs and drove in 11 runs last week, in seven games, Schwarber went 10 for 26. That's a 385 average. With a 414 OBP and a 1.077 slugging percentage. And we talked about how important it was for the Nats to take three of four from the Mets, the first place Mets, over the weekend. Now comes this little tiny two game set with the Phillies. The Phils are one game ahead of the Nats in the standings. So if the Nats can actually sweep these two games, they'll jump ahead of Philadelphia in the NL East. And the Pirates open a two-game set at home tonight against the first-place White Sox. Chicago comes in on a four-game losing streak. Bucks have lost eight of their last ten. Tyler Anderson will get the start for Pittsburgh. College football, West Virginia got a verbal commitment for the class of 2022 and quarterback Nico Marischal out of Arizona. Marischal is apparently a stud. Four-star prospect, according to rivals. He's also listed as the 239th prospect on ESPN's top 300 list. Marischal plays for Hamilton High School in Chandler, Arizona in eight games this past season. He threw for 1,417 yards, 11 touchdowns, also ran for 535 yards and six more touchdowns. He also holds offers from Arizona, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Michigan, and USC, among others. He had uh, trimmed his list down to WVU, Arizona State, and Michigan State. And at least verbally anyway, he chose West Virginia. Nowadays, who knows? Nowadays, I don't take a college athlete at his word at all. Whether they verbally commit 
whether they sign on the dotted line, thanks to the transfer portal, I, I, I will never believe an athlete until I see him in uniform. And even then, who knows how long they'll stay. So at least verbally, the Mountaineers, a big-time four-star prospect at quarterback. And in high school softball, the West Virginia State Tournament gets underway this morning in Charleston. And AAA Washington will open things up against Cabell Midland. Uh, Patriots are 25-3 and this season. The Knights are 27-9. and And in Class A, 21-5 Petersburg will face undefeated Wahama. The White Falcons are 24-0. and And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Kappa Rally Group. So there you go. A softball tournament gets underway today. The state baseball tournament uh, gets underway on Thursday in Charleston. And again, I don't understand the disparity, the difference in how they get things done. I've railed about this before, and I will continue to do so until something changes. I simply don't understand, and maybe somebody can help me clear it up. Why the West Virginia State softball tournament is a double elimination and the baseball tournament is one and done. I I simply don't understand that. Why is there a difference in the two? For the record, I agree with softball. It should be double elimination or something or a best of three, something. I simply do not get why baseball has to go through a double elimination sectional, a best of three regional, and then you get to the state tournament and you lose once and you're and you're done. Like what other sport does that? Well, football. I guess yeah, of course it's football because they only play one game a week. Even the college World Series is double elimination. I don't understand that. Like how did how do people sit down? You assume intelligent people, how do they sit down and decide that's the best way to do it? But I've thought about it. Like, why couldn't you? If you can do double elimination in softball, why can't you do it in baseball? Why go through the ringer to get to the state tournament? Yeah, I know. Basketball is also a single elimination. I get that. But I just don't understand why there's there's a difference. Why softball gets double elimination, why you get an extra chance if you lose that first game, and in baseball you don't. It's it simply, it's just, it should be uniform, right? It, it should be the same across the board. Even if softball was single elimination, I, I guess I would that would be easier for me to take if baseball and softball were the same. I just don't understand what the difference is. Is it because of the pitching? Like I don't I don't get that. You know, in softball, because there's less wear and tear in a softball pitcher because of the underhand motion, you'll generally see the same pitcher throw two games. In baseball, obviously you can't do that. Does that somehow factor into it? So you basically, you have to win. You have to win more games to get to the state baseball tournament. 
than you do to actually win the state baseball tournament. Is that <laughs> right? It's only two games in the state baseball tournament. And there's only four te- there's only four region winners. So you're automatically in the final the state tournament is, is is whittled down to the final four. Each regional winner. So you win your first game and you're automatically in the state title game. So you win two games. You win two games and you're in the state champion. You got to win more games to get to Charleston than you do to actually win at your- it makes no sense. At least in softball, you're afforded a mistake. At least in softball, you're afforded a pitcher to have a bad game. Because you can make your way through the loser's bracket. Again, I, I just I don't get it. I don't get it. And I've said before, it should be reversed. Sectionals should be one and done. If you're going to go one and done, sectionals should be one and done. Regionals, best of three. State tournament, best of three. At least to decide the title. Anyway, maybe I'll uh, write a very sternly worded letter to the WVSSAC and ask him, hey, how do they do it in Maryland? I don't even know. I have no idea. Same thing? I have no idea. They're one and done too, right? It doesn't make any sense. All right, let's move on. Uh, Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. You want to get involved in the conversation. And we're going to start with the NBA. As the Hawks are getting ready to take on the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Final beginning tomorrow in Milwaukee. The team that Atlanta bounced from the playoffs, the uh, top-seeded 76ers, still trying to figure out what happened. And the one guy taking the brunt of the criticism is Ben Simmons, who just absolutely vanished in crucial situations and had a complete meltdown from the free throw line this postseason. Now, it's not like he was great in the regular season. He shot 60% from the foul line in the regular season, which you rarely ever see from a point guard. He shot just 30 from the foul line in the playoffs, which forced head coach Doc Rivers to take him off the floor in the fourth quarter and in crucial situations because teams like Washington and Atlanta were intentionally fouling him and sending him to the line. After Philly's Game 7 loss to the Hawks, uh, Doc Rivers was asked, you know, if Simmons was the point guard of the future for the Sixers. And he, he kind of danced around it a little bit and said he really couldn't answer the question at the time. Yesterday, uh, Rivers gave a little more perspective on what lies ahead for the uh, 24-year-old three-time All-Star. I'm positive uh, in Ben. I'm very bullish on Ben still. Um, and um, But there's work, you know, Mark. There are There is. Uh, and Ben will be willing to do it, uh, and that's the key. You know, sometimes you have to go through stuff to see it and, and be honest with it. There's areas that he can fix quickly, in my opinion, or, and get better, and that will take him to another level. I look at this as a great challenge, but a best, definitely a doable one. I don't think the average person understands how hard it is to win. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, you guys didn't win it again. Well, 
Neither did 29 other teams. Having said that, I believe we can. Uh, and I do believe we can. The pain has to drive you, but the will to win has to drive you even more. I'm not exactly sure what the average person has anything to do with it, but whatever. But he says he's still high on Simmons. That there's work to be done in the offseason. He didn't completely dismiss Simmons coming back, which a lot of people have already done. Now, this is how bad things got for Simmons down the stretch in that series against the Hawks, all right? In the fourth quarter of games four through seven, he played a total of 34 minutes. Now, just do the math on that, all right? NBA quarters are 12 minutes. So the four fourth quarters, thats well, that's the equivalent of an entire game, right? 48 minutes. He only played 34 of the 48 minutes in those four fourth quarters. He had six points total, all right? This is according to ESPN stats. Six points total in those four fourth quarters. And this, this is what makes it even worse. He was 6 for 12 from the line. All right, and I just told you, he had six points total. So if he was 6 for 12 from the line, that means he made zero shots from the floor. Listen to me here. In those four fourth quarters, games four through seven, he did not attempt a single shot from the floor. This is your starting point guard. This is your three-time All-Star. And Philly lost three of those final four games. He did not even try a shot from the... And in game seven, I remember Mark Kestisher and John Barry talking about it during the broadcast. There was one point where he had a wide-open dunk. And he didn't do it. He didn't take it. Because he was expected to get fouled, and he didn't want to go to the foul line. Your starting point guard in the four fourth quarters games did not attempt a single shot. Now, look, a lot of that was because he was on the bench for 12 of those minutes because Doc Rivers couldn't put him in the game. So that is, and you understand why, Simmons is getting the brunt of the criticism. That production, or I guess lack of it, is why Simmons is getting killed. And it's the main reason why people like Zach Lowe of the Low Post podcast says it's time uh, for Simmons to go. I think they have to explore Simmons' trade. Look, there's just no sugarcoating it. The Simmons thing is an ongoing disaster unfolding on a national stage. 2018 playoffs, he wasn't good enough. 2019 playoffs, he wasn't good enough. Injured last year. This year, even worse. The bottom line is the only time the Sixers looked like a real championship threat was when Jimmy Butler was there for that one season and they pushed Toronto to the limit in the Kawhi shot game. They haven't looked that way since. And Ben Simmons does a lot of great things, but offensively he's just disappeared and it's not good enough and the Sixers do not have enough offensive creation around Joel Embiid. And the only chip they have to play, after all the chips they had, after everything they got in the process, the only chip they really have to play now is what can we get for Ben Simmons? And I got bad news for the Sixers. The other 29 general managers, they all watched the playoffs really, really closely. They all saw all of this too. So this is going to be a really tough spot for them. So he's saying they got to move on, right? 
from Simmons. And this is like the Mark uh, Markel Fultz situation all over again. Remember, Sixers drafted Markel Fultz number one overall, and he forgot how to shoot. And they can they continuously tinkered and toyed with his shot to change it to get it ready, and eventually they got rid of him. This is what it feels like all over again. Now, Hall of Famer Magic Johnson was on KJZ yesterday morning, and he echoed the same sentiment as Zach Lowe right there. He says it's time for a change because nobody, from Simmons' teammates to the Sixers fan base, will be able to move on from Simmons' performance until he moves on. Ben, it's time for a change. Yeah. It's time for a change because he can't recover from this. The locker room won't recover from it. Mm. And um, so when they went to the hacker shack, basically, the hacker Simmons, mm. yeah. that just that just killed him. He has to now, I think, get with somebody in the summer to get his confidence back up. He has to get back into the gym. Um, but he needs I, to be somewhere else, you're saying? Yeah, he's got to be somewhere else. He, so it's over. Because the locker room is over with. Yeah. People it, aren't going to trust him. Locker room. And the fans. And the fans. Yeah. But man, it's, it's over. You you can't you can't recover from this. All right. So far be it for me to uh disagree with a Hall of Famer like Magic, but uh yeah, you can recover from it. <laughs> you know? You, you can't uh, look, the guy stunk out loud. All right, Simmons was non existent, as we just talked about down the stretch for the Sixers. But to say that you simply can't recover from it. I think is garbage, right? You trying to tell me he lost the entire like they'll never trust him again? What kind of what kind of locker room is that? If I'm Simmons, I don't you I don't. If I'm Simmons, and my teammates turn their backs on me and don't trust me anymore, I don't want to be there anyway. Like what kind of locker room is that? Now look, I know what kind of fan base it is. It's Philadelphia. They're unforgiving. They don't care. They will hold that against Simmons and you know until his career is over. And probably after that, you would expect nothing more from the Philadelphia fan base than that. But you're certainly not going to make decisions based on them. Whether they get over it or not, if I'm the 76ers, I'm not worried about the fan base. I'm not worried about how they feel about it. No, of course I'm worried about how the locker room feels about it. But if that's a locker room that simply won't trust Simmons anymore, they won't have any faith, and then he needs to go because that's not a locker room I want to be part of. That's a cra- I'm sorry, that's a crappy locker room. You don't bail on your teammate like that who's obviously struggling, who's obviously having issues. You know, Doc Rivers said, hey, we're going to work in the offseason, try to fix his shot, try to get him better, and that should be the approach. Not, well, he had a terrible series, so we don't trust him anymore. So, you know, he lost the locker room. That's not, no. And if that's the case in Philly, then shame on that locker room. Shame on the people who are supposed to be leaders in that locker room that are just going to throw this guy under the bus and say, well, he's the reason why we lost. We don't trust him anymore. That's not that's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to have your team. And I, look, that, that's for Magic Johnson. There's no, I don't know if, if Simmons lost his teammates after that performance. The, all of them to a man might have Simmons back and say, hey, we're with you. We're going to help you. I don't know. That's just Magic's perspective. I hope that his teammates have his back and are willing to stick with him and try to win with him in the future and not bail on him 
like magic suggests. All right, so a couple people say, all right, trade Ben Simmons. Another Hall of Famer says, eh, there's one problem with that. Stick around for that here on WCMD. This is the morning rush. I finally got a call. If you were listening uh, last week, and I hope you were, uh, my laptop went belly up. I think was it Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday. Maybe it was might have been Monday. I can't remember. No, it was definitely Tuesday because the whole system went kaput on Monday. And then Tuesday followed up with a laptop issue. Right, right in the middle of the show, my laptop just went dark, went dead. And I took it to Smart Choice in Lavelle, free plug. And I hadn't heard from them until yesterday. They finally called. I thought either one of two things, right? Either they're really backed up, really busy, and it took them a while to get to my laptop, or two, my laptop was so messed up, it's taken them this long to try to fix it. Unfortunately for me, (laughs) it was the latter. My laptop, I I, I can't remember, it was Austin who called me and said, uh, yeah, update on your laptop, the hard drive is in bad shape. And they had been attempting, ever since I took it in, to move everything from my old laptop to my new one. And they just started getting stuff over. Like the first things they do is they go after the pictures, which thank God they do. Because that's one of the things I was worried about. But you have no idea. Well, you probably do. If you have a laptop, then you know how much stuff you store in your laptop. How much stuff I will lose if they can't fix it and get everything. I mean, just work-related stuff, coaching-related stuff, personal stuff. Now, he did say that they believe that they can get most of the stuff transferred over. Starting with the pictures. It's taken them that long just to get to that point. That's how messed up my laptop was. And again, shame on me for not getting it in there when I should have before that laptop crapped itself and getting it done. I had ample opportunity. I got the new laptop for Christmas. I should have done that out of the gate. I should have taken it up there as soon as, hey, you know what? Because I knew. How many times have I complained about that old laptop before? The keyboard was going bad. It was so bad, I had to take an external keyboard and plug it into my laptop. So I'm sitting here like an idiot every morning with two keyboards. Because I just, for whatever reason, didn't want to make that simple trip up and over top the bump to Lavelle to get my you know get everything switched over. And now I'm sitting there sweating. Hopefully, they can, you know, salvage most of the stuff from the old laptop. Which is just that's just a lesson for you kids. It's a lesson from your Uncle T. Don't put off, how's it go? Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today or something like that. Or get your laptop fixed when you can or whatever. You get the point. Don't be an idiot like me and put something off and then now you're just sweating things out. Fair enough? All right. So we were talking 76ers last segment. Uh, Ben Simmons taking most of the blame for the Sixers losing to the Hawks in seven games in the Eastern Conference semifinal. 
And we gave you Simmons' number in the fourth quarter of the last four games of the series. They were brutal. 34 minutes total, six points. Zero shots from the floor in those four fourth quarters. Zero. Not just zero shots made. Zero shots attempted. He completely disappeared. And we played you clips from Zach Lowe and Magic Johnson last segment saying, you know what, it's time to move on. It's time for the Sixers to make a trade, get rid of Simmons, because they can't recover, right? The fan base can't recover. The locker room can't recover, which I think is bull. But they got to trade Simmons. Uh, Charles Barkley, who never met an opinion he didn't like, was on with Greeny yesterday. And he says, eh, there's one problem with that. You know, I hear all these people talking about, well, they've got to trade Ben Simmons. Greeny, what NBA team that watched the last five games going to give up a ton to get Ben Simmons? Mm. Well, they've got to trade Ben Simmons. What general manager in his right mind would see watch the last five games and say, we need to go and get that guy and give up something for him. All these guys getting on TV talking about, we got to trade Ben Simmons. We got, wait, what would you give up for Ben Simmons right now? There's no team in their right mind, even if, 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 even if it's a bad team, what are you willing to give up to get Ben Simmons? I'm not giving up a lot, especially when you said those numbers. He's owed like $140-something million dollars. I'm not going to give a guy $140 million that I can't play in the fourth quarter of a game. And see, that's the kicker. Even if the Sixers did want to trade Simmons, who's going to take him? You're not getting a first round. Now, look, this is based on this playoff performance. The kid is still, he's 24 years old, three-time All-Star. He was All-NBA one season. He was a Rookie of the Year back in, what, 2018? And after a really bad series, just going to give up on him and get rid of him? What you going to get for him? You heard Charles say it right there. Anybody who watched this playoff series against the Hawks, you're going to take on a $140 million contract for a guy you can't play down the stretch? So even if the Sixers want to unload him, what are they going to get? So it might be in their best interest, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, to, you know, kind of just stand pat and try to win with Ben Simmons. Here's Woj. The challenge for the Sixers right now is to not exude a desperation that they have to move Ben Simmons or they're even going to move Ben Simmons because, listen, his trade value right now is not what it has been in the past with the kind of thud of an ending he had in Philadelphia. So there's kind of a dual path here of of him, if his willingness is to get into the gym, to work on that shot, as Doc Rivers indicated they had a plan for him this summer. And then listen, the Sixers are going to have to listen to what might be out there. uh, What are the deals that might present themselves? And none of them may be good enough to part with Ben Simmons when perhaps his value could increase if he is able to work on that shot this summer, come back next season, and get off to a better start. So I think for Philadelphia, uh, with the kind of exit they had, I know they're going to be open to everything, but they can't just go out with um, a disposition of we're going to move Ben Simmons no matter what. 
the right deal would have to be there. And he's still a player that winning with him might be better than what you can get right now for him. And here's the kicker. Again, uh, Simmons is taking the brunt of the criticism. And he, he deserves to be criticized. He deserves what he's getting because he just did not have a very good series at all. You got Embiid out there playing on basically one leg, putting up 31 points, 11 rebounds in that game seven. Tobias Harris had, you know, what he had, 24, I think. You had other guys doing their jobs, and Ben just didn't. However, you can't pin an entire series on one player. Right? Although, look, uh, Simmons made it really hard to look at and blame anybody else. But it's a seven-game series. It's hard to say just it's, it's all the fault of just one dude. Stephen A. Smith says there's somebody else to blame for the Sixers' flame out, and he doesn't play at all. There is no excusing what's going on with Doc Rivers. I love the man personally and professionally. Uh, but there have been several collapses on his watch. And this weekend is particularly devastating because the Los Angeles Clippers won a game seven and went to the conference finals for the first time in franchise history in Ty Lue's first year. And he did it the last two games, three games, without Kawhi Lue. Go look up Ty Lue in, in, when he's down in the series. Or I got you. On the line. I got you. The point is, is that you consider what Ty Lue did in year one and that Doc Rivers didn't do it in seven years. And then on the same weekend, you lose a game seven to an Atlanta Hawks team most people thought that you were supposed to beat. This is not a good day for Doc Rivers, number one. But having said all that, I roll with my man man Magic Johnson. Ben Simmons has got to go. He's 24 years of age. He's a star talent. Right. And I'm not saying that Ben Simmons should be given up on because he's some scrub or anything like that. It goes to what you pointed out, Magic. I know Philly. Yeah. I worked there for 17 years. I was a columnist for my last time. Let me tell you something right now. That city ain't going to ever forgive him for what they have seen. And here's why. Not just that he missed shots. He didn't take them. Yeah. See, when you see the Greek freak in Milwaukee miss or make, he takes them. Ben Simmons is literally scared to shoot the basketball. He gave up a wide-open dunk because he anticipated he was going to be fouled and didn't want to go to the free-throw line. 34% shooting in the postseason. For anybody who's attempted 70 or more, it's the worst free-throw percentage shooting in the history of basketball. And this is the league Will Chamberlain and Shaquille O'Neal played in. And they shot better for the free-throw line than Ben Simmons. This is very, very bad. And when you take that into consideration, and you combine that with the fact that Philadelphia being a very unforgiving town, and they don't know how to let off and lay off, and they're going to constantly berate him, and it's mental. With him, I don't believe he can overcome that match in the city of Philadelphia. You got to move him. I'm going to say it right here on national television. Try and get yourself somebody like C.J. McCollum. Mm -hmm. Bring him to Philly. Send Ben Simmons to Portland. Because with all the perimeter guys they have in Damian Lillard, it would work. That's how bad his trade value has been diminished. All right, so Stephen A. says uh, ship him to the other side of the country. <laughs> ben Simmons, that is. But he's not He's not letting Doc Rivers off the hook. Rivers, and we talked about this when we discussed the game uh, yesterday. He's lost four straight game sevens. That is tied for the longest streak in NBA history for head coaches. 
And he loses that game seven to Stephen A's point the same weekend that his old team, the Clippers, win and move on to the Western Conference Final. Something they never did when Doc Rivers was there. So we can pile on Ben Simmons. We can point the biggest finger of blame at Ben Simmons, and rightfully so for his performance. But Doc Rivers, when you look at this past series and previous series with other teams even, Doc Rivers, who talks a good game, he's one of the worst big game coaches we've seen in the NBA in a long time. He can't get it done, no matter what team he's with. He can't win game sevens. So Ben Simmons is blame A, Doc is blame B, for sure. Stick around. More of the rush. WCMD. This is the morning rush. One game on the ice last night. A pivotal game five between the Lightning and Islanders in Tampa Bay. Series tied at two games apiece. We always bring up this number in this situation. Winner of game five in a series that's tied 2-2. Goes on to win the series nearly 80% of the time. So, with so much on the line, you would think that both teams would be ready. You would think that both teams would get out there and give it their all to play their best game to win the pivotal game five. You would think. Not the case for the Islanders. Steven Stamkos scored 45 seconds into the game for Tampa Bay. They scored three in the first period to go up 3-0, and it got even worse in the second period. Need quick puck movement here. A shot! Score! That might have been tipped by Kalorn in front. I think so. The Lightning have another power play goal. They are two for four tonight. They make it 6-0. They doubled it up in the second period. Three in the first, three in the second. Stamkos had two goals, one in the first, one in the second. Kalorn, two goals, one in the first, one in the second. Problem for the Islanders, uh, there's three periods in a hockey game. The winners at cross ace maroon, right point, Luke Shen. A little shot, score! Luke, that bounce past Sorokin. I don't think that was tipped. That'll be a goal for Luke Shen to make it 8-0. Lighting have tied the franchise record for most goals in a playoff game. Dave Mishkin, the calls, my buddy Mish, on WFLA. Tampa Bay absolutely stomps a mud hole in the Islanders 8-0 to take a three-games-to-two lead. The eight goals by Tampa tied a franchise playoff record for one game. And the eight-goal margin of victory ties for the largest shutout win in the playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, for any team over the last 35 years. Absolute domination from start to finish. Lightning over the aisles, eight to nothing. Here's ESPN's Barry Melrose. Send a message to the Islanders. Uh, this this team isn't going to quit. The Islanders are not a quitting team. They'll certainly be ready next game. But, yeah, to get Stamco scoring, that is so important. Kalorn hasn't been playing the Kalorn-type game we're used to. He scores. Sorelli, who looked so fast most of the year and, and last year in the playoffs, wasn't uh, the same player so far in this year's playoffs. And tonight he was. He was aggressive. He was fast. 
And all the uh, Tampa Bay team played like that. They were the first guys on the puck. They were doing stretch passes. The defense was mobile. Uh, there was some scrapping going on. There was a lot of intensity in tonight's game, a lot of energy in tonight's game. So uh, it was a big win for uh, Tampa Bay, no doubt about it. it one nothing would have been plenty. 8 nothing. we didn't need that too much. What are they doing, baking a cake on the set? What was that? <laughs> what was that dang? Anyway, 8 nothing. That's, that's, that's embarrassing. How do you? I know the game was in Tampa. I know the Lightning are the defending Stanley Cup champions, but how do you show up for a pivotal Game Five and get your doors blown off by eight in a hockey game? Series shifts back to the island tomorrow uh, for Game Six. Islanders, of course, on the brink of elimination tonight. Another pivotal Game Five. Canadians, Golden Knights. That game in Vegas, that series tied two games apiece. So, again, I give you the number. Whoever wins tonight's game will have a nearly 80% chance to win the series. Montreal giving Vegas a much better series than I thought they would. I thought after game one the series was over, which I should know better. I think Vegas is a much better team than Montreal. But the Canadiens showing some grit showing some stuff. Actually, I take that back. Montreal won the first game. I take that back. I thought after the Golden Knights tied it up, the Golden Knights are better. They should win the series. But tonight, again, pivotal game five. How many times do we hear that, right? We, We must have said pivotal a million times in the last month and a half. Which means we had a lot of good series, right? A lot of good series tied two games apiece. All right, uh, stick around. A pivotal break coming up. Then I'll be back for hour number two. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Got to correct something from last, uh, last segment, last hour. I said Montreal won the first game of that series against Vegas. I was, my first instinct was correct. Vegas did win that first game of the series four to one, and I thought, well, the series is over. I thought the Knights would cruise, but the Canadians won the next two games. So my bad. Reminder of several ways to get involved on the show. Uh, check out our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush. At Rush Tony C, that's the letter C, not the word. Also, our Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, whatever the kids are doing these days. Anytime you want to get involved with a question, a comment, an opinion, drop me a line, send me a message, whatever. You are encouraged and welcome to do so. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. I got to quit doing this. Uh, this is a bad habit. All right, This is another reason why I need my laptop back, because I have to print everything out now, and so I get the papers, and I do this a lot. And I noticed that when I was uh, putting the podcast up yesterday, that I could hear myself doing this in the background. I got to stop that, because it's annoying to you and to me. Uh, Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. And, of course, uh, speaking of which, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. 
We upload every show every day, minus commercials, just for you. If you miss any part of any show, for instance, if you missed uh, last hour. We talked uh, about Ben Simmons and the 76ers. Uh, Simmons taking most of the blame for the Sixers, the top-seeded Sixers, uh, losing to the Hawks in seven games in the Eastern Conference semifinal, although Doc Rivers should uh, share some of that blame. Talked about the Lightning absolutely destroying the Islanders last night, 8 nothing to take a 3-2 lead in that uh, series, that Stanley Cup semifinal. And we talked uh, some baseball as well, and that's where we'll start this hour as we rock around the region. I want to rock right now. In Major League Baseball, the Orioles and Astros kicked off a three-game series last night in Baltimore. The O's are trying to stay away or trying to stay off the wrong side of history. Next pitch, slug to center field. Straw going back at the track, at the wall. No hitter over. Shutout over. Orioles on the board. Franco with a two-run homer into the bullpen. It is 10-2 Houston, and there will be no, no, no tonight at Camden Yards. The call on 105.7 The Fan, that was about the only good news for the Orioles of Michael Franco breaking up a combined no-hitter in the eighth inning in Baltimore's 10-2 loss to Houston. Uh, Jake Odorizzi and reliever Christian Javier held the O's hitless through seven innings. Uh, Then they sat through a 41-minute rain delay. Uh, Brandon Belak came on in the eighth. He hit Austin Hayes with a pitch and then gave up the home run to Franco. No hitter gone, shutout gone. Uh, Steve Wilkerson followed up with a single for Baltimore's only other hit of the night. That's right, they had two hits the entire evening. Keegan Aiken allowed five runs in four-plus innings for Baltimore. He falls to 0-3 on the year. Elsewhere, Nationals and Pirates both off yesterday, tonight, the red-hot Nats and the red-hot Kyle Schwarber <clears throat> open a two-game series at Philadelphia. Uh, Washington has won eight of the last ten. Schwarber yesterday named National League Player of the Week for the very first time in his career after hitting six home runs and driving in 11 runs last week. In seven games... Schwarber went 10 for 26. That's a 385 average, oh, by the way. With an OBP of, that's on base percentage, by the way, of 414 and a slugging percentage over 1, 1.077. And just as we talked about the Nationals taking three of four from the Mets over the weekend, which was huge because they gained two games in the standings. This little two-game set with Philly, also huge. Because right now, you have the Mets in first place in the NL East. They are four games ahead of Philadelphia and five games ahead of both the Braves and the Nats. So if the Nats can sweep this two-game series, they will jump ahead of Philly in the NL East standings. And the Pirates, who will be jumping over nobody anytime soon, will open a two-game set at home against the first-place White Sox. Chicago comes in on a four-game losing streak. Bucks have lost eight of their last ten. Tyler Anderson gets the start for Pittsburgh. 
College football, West Virginia got a verbal commitment for the class of 2022 in quarterback Nico Marischal out of Arizona. Marischal, I don't know if it's Nico or Nico, not quite sure. Marischal is a four-star prospect, according to Rivals. He's also listed at number 239 on ESPN's top 300 list. Marischal plays for Hamilton High School in Chandler, Arizona, in eight games last season. He threw for 1,417 yards, 11 touchdowns, also ran for 535 yards, and six more touchdowns. He also holds offers from a bunch of schools, including Arizona, Georgia, Florida, LSU, the kid's a stud, Michigan, and USC, among others. He had trimmed his list down to three. Arizona State, Michigan State, and West Virginia, and at least for now, he has verbally committed to the Mountaineers. And in high school softball, the West Virginia State tournament gets underway this morning, not too long from now. In Charleston, in AAA, Washington will open things up against Cabell Midland. Uh, Patriots are 25-3 and this season. The Knights are 27-9. and And in Class A, 21-5 uh, Petersburg will face undefeated Wahama. The White Falcons are 24-0 and on the year. And, of course, the, uh, high, the uh, baseball uh, state tournament will go get under. Well, I can't. That's terrible. That may be the worst sentence to ever come out of my Do mouth. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? The state baseball tournament gets underway later this week uh, on Thursday. That's what I meant to say, uh, but failed miserably. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by uh, the Caporelli Group. So thank you. And again, I uh, went off on it last hour. I won't do it again. If you missed it, you can check it out on our podcast page on that free Podbean app. Uh, I still don't understand why the high school state tournament in softball is double elimination, but the baseball state tournament is single elimination. I don't, don't know why it's not uniform. For the record, I like softball. I like the double elimination. Or, you know, doing like a best of three. At least for the championship. I do not like the one and done in baseball. It makes no sense to me. I think it's stupid. But anyway, I I went over that. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to rehash. It just doesn't make any sense. So, uh, groundbreaking news yesterday. A groundbreaking announcement, if you will. Uh, Carl Nassib a defensive end for the Las Vegas Raiders, went to Instagram yesterday to make this announcement. What's up, people? I'm Carl Massive. I'm at my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Um, I really have the best life. I got the best family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. Um, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. Um, I actually hope that like one day videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. Um, but until then, you know, I'm going to do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate. And I'm going to start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. 
They're an incredible organization. They're the number one suicide prevention service for LGBTQ youth in America, and they're truly doing incredible things. And I'm very excited to be a part of it, to help in any way that I can. And I'm really pumped to see what the future holds. Uh, that's all I have for you guys. I hope you have a great day. Work hard. So NASA becomes the first active NFL player to come out as gay. Now, you remember uh, some years ago, Michael Sam, remember him? He was a linebacker from Missouri, became the first openly gay player to be drafted in NFL history. Uh, It was, what, 2014, right? When the Rams took him 249th overall. But he was cut by the team at the end of camp, never played a regular season game in the NFL. That's why Nassib is the first active NFL player to come out as gay. With more on that, her take, here's ESPN's uh, Mina Kimes. I think he's going to make it easier. And and I, I want to be clear about this. It's not just that he's done this. Other athletes, it, maybe even players who are in the league already, they're not just going to be watching and listening to what Carl said and how it's covered. They're going to be watching how everyone responds. And that's why I feel it's so important for his teammates, as it sounds like they've done, and other NFL players to get behind him because, um, you know, people are watching and people are listening and acceptance, it sounds like, you know, the acceptance he's gotten so far, it's going to be what enables other athletes to come out in the future. Now, Nassib, he won the uh, Lombardi Award as, like, the best linebacker in college football when he was with Penn State back in 2015. He was a third-round pick of the Browns in 2016, he then played a couple of years with the Buccaneers, and he just recently signed a three-year deal with the Raiders. Uh, it was March of 2020. He has 20 and a half sacks in 73 games, 37 starts. Oh, he's also the uh, Big Ten uh, Defensive Player of the Year in uh, 2015, for whatever that's worth. And after he made that announcement yesterday, I mean, everybody came out in support. Raiders owner Mark Davis. He told ESPN, this is a quote, it's 2021. All the more power to Carl. Doesn't change my opinion of him as a person or as a Raider. And head coach John Gruden sent a text saying, quote, I learned a long time ago what makes a man different is what makes him great, end quote. So a lot of support. And it's going to be an easy thing to do. Right? You can only imagine. It cannot be an easy thing to do as an athlete in a sport like football, the NFL, to come out and do what, what Carl Nassib did yesterday. Roger Goodell, he released a statement saying, quote, representation matters. We share his hope that someday, soon, statements like his will no longer be newsworthy as we march toward full equality for the LGBTQ plus community we wish Carl the best of luck this coming season, end quote. And, you know, Nassib said it, Goodell said it, you hear other people say it. And, like, that's the ultimate goal, right? What, regardless of, of how there's going to be people who are going to hear that announcement and they're going to have their own opinions. And they're not always going to be positive opinions. Okay, let's, let's, let's be real. Yes, you know, the owner, Davis, said, hey, it's 2021. Yeah, it is. 
And we've definitely come a long way as a society, as you know, even when I was a kid, you know, 40 plus years ago. But there's still a lot of work to be done. There are going to be people who hear Nassib's story and, and they're going to cringe. They're not going to be supportive. They're not going to be happy about it. Those people will never go away. Hopefully, they'll continue to shrink in numbers. And what does it matter? I mean, seriously. It's a big step for him. It couldn't have been easy under any uh, situation. But here's an, he's an active NFL player trying to make the team. And he, he, he just comes out yesterday. Good on him. And more power to him. And like Goodell said it, and like Nassim said it, you, you would hope that eventually we get to a point where this doesn't have to happen. Where you know, it's just, it becomes, for lack of a better word, commonplace. That it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a big announcement. It's just, just it is what it is, right? I remember, uh, I don't know, was it last year maybe? There was a basketball game where the the three officials were all female. I don't know if it was a college basketball game or an NBA game. And there was a pretty big deal made about that. And rightfully so, it was the first all-female officiating crew in whatever league it was. I can't remember, NBA or college. And so that announcement gets made, right? A, a big deal was made. Because anytime you reach a first, anytime you get to a first, it's a big deal, right? First all-female officiating crew, first active gay NFL player. Anytime you reach a first, we make a big deal out of it. But after a while, you would hope that the big deal kind of goes away and it just becomes part of the norm. And like when I hear a story like, like the all-female officiating crew, my first thought is, that's pretty cool, but can they officiate? Like that's, you know, and I, not, not to downplay that at all, because again, it's a big deal. I mean, can you? I mean, my goodness! Like an all-female officiating crew in basketball forty years ago, fifty years—that was never even a thought. But this is a different time we live in. My question is: If they can officiate, I don't care what they are. <laughs> you know, I don't care. Yeah, it's a big deal because it was the first time it happened. But after that, like the announcement doesn't need to be that big. Can they officiate? Can they get the job done? Carl Nassib here, you know, blazing the trail, being the first active NFL player to come out as gay. And and I would I would bet a thousand dollars to a dime that he won't be the last. But as these again announcements become, for lack of a better term, commonplace, that it, it doesn't become that big of a deal. It just becomes part of it is what it is. Can you play football? Right? Can you straight, gay, whatever? Can you play football? So hopefully we get to that point. Kirk Morrison uh, spent most of his years with the Raiders as a linebacker. He was on last night uh, on Spain and Fitz talking about what happens next after this announcement from Carl Nassib and with his teammates on the Raiders. Will he be accepted? How will he be treated? What happens if... He's not good enough to make the team. Does that put pressure on the Raiders 
to make a decision after this announcement. Here's Kirk Morrison last night on Spain and Fitz. As a former player, to me, I, I, I applaud Carl Nassib. I mean, I really do. Because here's a guy that said this isn't just a decision that came uh, to him uh, a year ago, a couple months ago. He's been feeling like he has not been able to live his life. And so for him to be able to come out openly and say how he feels and how he wants to continue to live his life as a gay man, I am all for it. And I think what people don't realize is that I can care less what you do off the field. I don't. That doesn't bother me. That never did bother me when I was a player. Guys, go home. Whatever you do, that's fine. I just know that when you show up in between the lines, we got to go out and I got to be able to depend on you. I got to trust you. I got to be able to to go out and do your job. That's all that really matters when it comes to the guys in the locker room. And he's going to have guys on his team that are going to protect him. They're going to. You know, he's one of your brothers. That's what it is. Like, that, the guy on your football team, he is your brother. He is the guy that you're going to go to battle with each and every week. And so there's going to be a lot of guys sticking up, standing up for him, because this is, uh, this is huge. And it's not just for Carl. It's for the Raiders organization as well. Kirk, talk a little bit about the mental aspect of all of this. When you've got something that's just on your heart, on your mind, is it helpful or hurtful? Like, how does it impact the play for you, just knowing that, like, life is impacting when you're trying to do your job like it would for any of us? I mean, I think he a weight has been lifted off his shoulders. I mean, I think now he can just focus on his job and focus on who he is as a person, obviously what he's going to do off the field in terms of awareness, um, for you know the LGBTQ community, that's going to be uh, something that he is going to now. You know, obviously people are going to look at him. There are going to be a lot of more people who will watch NFL games because of the way that Carl Nassib chose to live his life, and that's the good part. Now, the focus for him is to now channel that energy and still be able to focus on the task at hand. Now the focus has to be back on football. The focus has to be back on being the best Raider that you can be, making sure that you're making this football team, leaving no excuses, no doubts. It's time to work. If any more, you've got to grind a lot more now because you're going to have a lot more eyeballs on you than before. But I know Carl. Carl's a guy who is going to definitely, he's up for the challenge. He's a good, a good dude. Uh, his focus will be back on football and trying to earn a roster spot with these Raiders. You mentioned earn a roster spot. I mean, he yeah. had a big deal, and some would say that it was a disappointing first year, obviously. There was some speculation he would be cut, and so he comes back to the team. But I wouldn't say that a roster spot is necessarily guaranteed. Does any of this put more pressure on the organization to how they handle him as a player on a roster? Yeah, you know, I think we went through this with uh, Michael Sam a couple years back. You know, talking about the the SEC Defensive Player of the Year couldn't make a roster. Um, And I don't think that that's the case with Carl. Carl's going to be in a battle regardless. He's going to be in a battle to make this roster, to get into that rotation. And so I don't think it's any pressure on the organization. I think Mike Mayock, John Gruden, good evaluators of talent, and they're not going to be swayed one way or another. They have to do this thing or they have to do that. I think they're going to make sure that the best football players play, regardless of what's going on on the outside. That's where I think Carl has to find a way to make sure he's more impactful than he was a year ago. You mentioned it. he didn't. He kind of underperformed last year, but a new, fresh start. Gus Bradley, defensive coordinator, probably put him in some better situations to make some plays. And so I fully think that he can make this roster. It's just up to him to go out there and uh, and show what he can do come training camp. So there you go, uh, Kirk Morrison again played uh, most of his career with the Raiders on Spain and Fitch last night. And you know now he's right. Now he gets this gets down to football. Right, you make NASA makes the announcement yesterday, which again couldn't have been easy. You glad he did it. More power to him. 
But now it comes down to football. And he signed that three-year deal with Vegas. I still have trouble getting used to calling the Raiders uh, Vegas. Although it makes, I don't know, it, it kind of fit. It, it, I have trouble remembering it, but it still kind of fits. Right? I don't know, there's something about you put Vegas in front of anything, it just makes it better. But, you know, he signs a deal with Vegas, not a great year last year. And you gotta, you have to wonder or imagine how much that weighs on a person in Nassib's situation. You know, like how long... How hard it is to obviously I can't speak to that. All right, I'm, I'm I'm a straight guy. I can't speak to that. I don't you know how much that could affect his performance on the field. How much better he may be this year now that he has come out, and that's no longer weighing on him. Because again, it couldn't have been easy. You try to put yourself in in, in his shoes, in, in you know in ultra macho sport like the NFL. How's it going to be received by the fan base? How's it going to be received by his teammates? How's it going to be received by the organization? How's it going to be received by the coaches? I can only imagine because I don't know. So you might think he had a down year last year. Maybe with that weight lifted, now that he is out, that he can just concentrate on football. And maybe he performs better on the field. Who knows? You hope it does. You hope it does. So you applaud Carl Nassib for doing it. And maybe, again, he blazes the trail for other players in other sports to, you know, make the announcement. And again, hopefully we reach a point where it just becomes commonplace, where the announcement isn't necessary. And that we just worry about what happens on the field, right? All right, uh, stick around, another break. Got some weather coming up. And then back with the NCAA and Congress going toe-to-toe. Stick around, WCMD. This is the morning rush. When I say it doesn't matter to me, like when I say that I don't care, just to clear it up, because you got to be very careful what you say these days. It's not that I don't care about the announcement. Like I, I just, I don't, like I don't care. And you heard Kirk Morrison say it when we played that clip when he was on with uh, Spain and Fitz. It's what, like, what can you do on on the field? Like I don't care off the field. I don't care. It doesn't concern. It doesn't change my opinion. You know what I mean. I don't care what you do off the field, as long as it's within the letter of the law. As long as you're not out killing people and, you know, doing drugs and and beating women. You know, like we've seen pro athletes in the past. But how you live your life off the field, it's no concern of mine. What can you do on the field? That's my concern. And you wish him well. Right? Because, again, it couldn't have been easy. And you would hope that if like, if you're a Raiders fan and, and you hear that announcement, that, that doesn't change your opinion of the guy just because he comes out as gay. Although you know there are people out there, there are ignorant people out there who will. But you would hope for the most part that like, nothing changes. You still hope for him to perform on the field because that's his job as a football player. That's why I talked about the all-female officiating crew. Uh, Again, I do believe it was last year. It didn't really move my needle that much. As far as, and again, when I say I don't care, it's not like I don't care about the accomplishment. I don't care about the magnitude of it. It's just like, well, can they officiate? 
That doesn't change my opinion of them as officials because it's an all-female crew. Like, I don't care. Can you do the job? Whether you're male, female, white, black, straight, gay, can you do the job? That's my concern. And I'm sure that's what should everybody's concern be. Can you do the job? Whether it's being an official, as a player, as a coach, or whatever. Your thoughts, 301-759-2628. Hop on board. Uh, let's discuss. In the meantime, uh, and I'll admit right out of the gate that this, every time I talk about this, it confuses me more and more. Because I it, it's a bunch of legal stuff, legal mumbo-jumbo. And it has to do with the Supreme Court and the NCAA. All right. So bear with me. We'll try to work through it together. <laughs> the Supreme Court unanimous, unanimously is the word in English, sided with former college players yesterday in a dispute with the NCAA about uh, player compensation. And again, it's it's hard for me to talk about because it's hard for me to sift through all of this. But the Supreme Court affirmed a ruling that basically allows for an increase in how college athletes can be compensated, okay? And it also kind of opened the door for future legal challenges that could be even bigger blows to the NCAA. And a lot of this... uh, stemmed from West Virginia. Remember Sean Alston? He kind of got this ball rolling, he and other former players. And basically the Supreme Court said that the NCAA was violating antitrust law by placing limits on the educated-related benefits that schools can provide to athletes. Now, we all know that schools can provide scholarships to athletes, right? They can provide room and board. They can provide scholarships. But then there was a gray area when it came to, well, can they provide them laptops? Like, what, what falls into the realm of educated-related benefits? And what the Supreme Court said was, the NCAA cannot place limits on those educated-related benefits. The decision basically allows schools to provide the athletes with unlimited compensation as long as it is some way connected to their education. So again, they can't just outright pay them, okay? There is still, still a cap on scholarships. But what the Supreme Court says is schools can basically just open the floodgates when it comes to compensation if they can somehow prove that the compensation is educator-related. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. So again, you can't, you know, if, if you're, I don't know, just any school. Let's say you're uh, Maryland. Maryland cannot pay a student athlete a thousand bucks to come play. But they can spend that thousand bucks on a laptop 
and say that that laptop is educated related. That this student athlete needs this laptop to go to class, to take notes, right? So if the school can prove that it is education related, they can compensate the players that way. Now, again, that's not that may muddy the waters even further because you know there are going to be schools that are going to push the limit trying to figure out what is education related and what isn't. You know, look out for those, you know, 24 karat gold plated pencils and whatnot. But this is this is a big deal because the NCA was still trying to, you know, hey, we got scholarships, we got this and this. Yeah, and the Supreme Court said no. It's wide open now if it's educated related. With more to try to kind of unmuddy the waters. Here's uh, ESPN's Michelle Steele. In a unanimous decision, the Supreme Court ruled the NCAA cannot limit educational benefits like laptops or tutoring for student-athletes, ratcheting up pressure on the entire business model of college sports. This will lead to hundreds of millions of dollars of additional education-related benefits. Jeffrey Kessler, the most prominent sports labor attorney in the country, argued the case on behalf of the athletes, including former West Virginia Mountaineer Sean Elston, and spoke with ESPN after the decision. This is about the 98% of the Division I football and basketball players, even at the top level, who this is their one shot. and reaping the awards for what they could generate. Is there college athletics if there is no amateurism? So there really is no amateurism today, and the college athletics is doing very well, thank you. The justices issued a decision focused only on education-related compensation and not ruling on paying players. But Justice Brett Kavanaugh appeared to invite a more aggressive challenge to the NCAA, saying, quote, nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. The NCAA is not above the law. I hope that we are on the road to a fair system that preserves everything that's great about college sports, but also makes a system that we all could be proud of because it treats these athletes fairly. Next week, new laws are set to take effect in six states, which would allow players to make money off their name, image, and likeness. I asked Kessler if he would be involved in further efforts to help compensate college athletes, and he told me, quote, stay tuned. Uh, Yeah, amateurism is dead in college sports. If it's not dead yet, it's on life support. Once we get into the the nil, the name image likeness thing, where players can, you know, make money off of, you know, autograph sessions, uh, they can do a deal with like a car dealership, right? They can make money off themselves. They still can't get paid by the schools, but they can make money off their name. That's gonna be the first shoe to drop. That, that's going to be the first domino to fall. Let's put it that way. And now this Supreme Court ruling is going to open it up even further. And it's only a matter of time before somehow, some way, they start paying college athletes. Now, there are much smarter people than me who are going to have to figure out how that gets done. Because not everybody is on the same level. Not everybody is 
good enough to get paid to play college athletics. Good luck figuring out the pay scale. Good luck figuring out who makes the most money among the student athletes, among the schools even. Because, let's be real, there is a stark difference between Alabama and, you know, Kent State. So good luck trying to figure all of that out. And, as Charles Barkley says, good luck trying to keep everybody in one locker room happy. There's one maybe great player on every college team. He's going to sell a bunch of jerseys and make a lot of money, and he's going to get a car deal. But the other guys are going to be resentful or jealous. Those are the type of things that concern me when we talk about you're going to be able to use your name, image, and likeness. It's going to be great for a couple of guys, but for the majority of players, nobody's buying a defensive lineman's jersey. All due respect, of course, to defensive linemen. Hey, a lot of people buy Aaron Donald jerseys. Now, that's the NFL, I understand, but you get the point. And he's not wrong, though. There's going to be situations where you'll have two or three players making a lot of money and the rest of the team still eating ramen for lunch. You know what I mean? They're still going to, and that's going to cause some issues. There's going to be a whole lot of problems to come out of this because everybody's gut reaction is, oh, got to pay the players, got to pay them, got to pay them. Which on the surface seems okay, but there's going to be a trickle down that nobody's thinking about. How do you pay them? How much do you pay them? Who do you pay what? Just like, I guess, just like any other business, not everybody makes the same where you work, where I work. You have entry level all the way up to management. Those pay scales are different. Is that what's going to happen? Are you going to have pay scales for college football? Who decides that? Who figures out what an offensive lineman makes compared to what a quarterback makes? Yep. Who figures out how much the kicker makes as opposed to, you know, a linebacker? I mean, seriously. It's easy to simply say, oh, you got to pay the athletes. They make they generate so much money, but how? Without upsetting somebody along the way. I've never had an issue if it gets to the point, oh, I shouldn't say if, when it gets to the point that they begin to pay college athletes. If it gets, when it gets to that point, I got no problem with it. But the only thing I'll say is then you take scholarships away. When you start paying athletes to play for your college, then you get no more scholarships. Then you can pay for your own school. That's the only thing I, I have to say about that. Right? Instead of giving you a scholarship worth, I don't know, what, 200 grand for four years? I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are. Schools aren't cheap. As you say, it's 300. Instead of giving you 300,000 for a scholarship for four years to play football wherever, here's 300,000 bucks. But guess what? You're paying for your own school. That's the only thing, like the only stipulation I would put down. If you want to start paying college athletes for their service, for their work, then they don't get a free ride anymore. 
Can't have it both. Can't have both. And I guess it all depends on how much they get paid, too. If it's just going to be a little bit, then that's a different story. And again, I'd be interested to see when they start paying athletes what the cap is going to be. Is there going to be a salary? Can you imagine talking about a salary cap in college athletics? Are they going to put a cap on how much schools can pay players? Call or hold on. I mean, seriously. I mean, it's going to happen. Because I tell you, if you make it all willy nilly, if you just if you put it'd be like Major League Baseball. It'll be let's get the the highest bidder gets the best recruits, and it's just going to be a free for all. Which I think is actually going to hurt college sports. Let's go to Rush Line 301-759-2628. You're up. Who's this? It's Dwayne. Dwayne, what's up, bud? Not much. Hey, two days in a row. Two, day, two days in a row. After not hearing from you for two months. <laughs> two days in a row. I just, I mean, this is just a, a casual observation about um, the money and everything like that. Everybody knows that there is billions and billions and billions of dollars oh, in yeah. college football. Oh, for sure. And and college sports in general. But mostly college football. Well, let's be let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what drives everything. That's what uh, drives all those SEC fans to the stands sure. and everything like that. Sure. It's it, it just it's just like I said, casual observation. It's always funny that like there's all this money floating around and nobody has a problem until like the the workers, the 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 lowest of the low, start wanting for a, a little a little bit, a little, not, a little piece of the not pie, a whole lot. Right. Yeah, just a little piece of the pie. Then it's like, oh my God, we got to take this to the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. That it, it just always surprised. And it's it's not just it's not just college sports. It's a lot of things in life. Oh yeah. But it, it, it always is funny when you start talking about money and a whole lot of it. Everything's fine and copacetic until somebody at the bottom wants a little bit. And That's then, right. Oh, we we got we got challenges. That's right. Uh, well, the people, and, the and people at the top get nervous. Yeah, and the thing is, I think it was such a big win for college ath- athletes and everything like that because, like, the lower courts had sided with the NCAA. Right. And when it came to the Supreme Court, everybody was like, well, you know, this is this is not going to go well for the, the college athletes because it's, it's kind of skewed now. There's more conservatives on the bench than there is, you know, uh, liberals and, right. and all this stuff. And – I was actually shocked to, to see that Kavanaugh actually wrote that thing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, my, my, my whole thing is this, and I'll just, I'll just be real quick. Um, the, the meals and everything like that, because not everybody is a top-tier athlete on, on the football team. Right. Not everybody has a full-ride scholarship. Right. So this thing here, what it opens up is for, you know, the second-string center. You know, he can actually eat something now instead of, like, watching all of his friends eat at the dining hall on a meal plan right. that was provided by the, the school. Right. You know, so that's the thing that I'm, I'm actually kind of, you know, thankful for. Sure. You know? Everybody so. gets a piece of the pie. It's just, it's just a matter of how does that pie get divided between, like you said, the second string center and the starting quarterback. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I think just for college – now pros is different and everything like that. Sure. You can you can uh, you know manage your own uh, or have your own manager and everything like that, and they can negotiate your own contracts. But I think for for college, 
just for those four years. They need to have something simple where they set it up where it's like if you come in freshman, starter, you get this much. Uh, uh, senior, if you stay for your senior year, you get this much. You know what I'm saying? Oh, sure, so yeah. It might, if they set it up that way, it might actually benefit them so then there's not so many people hopping to the NFL real quick. Right. There, you know, there has to be some kind of structure because or else it would be a free-for-all. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's my take on it. Uh, hopefully it doesn't go completely nuts. <laughs> I'm with so. you 100% on that one. All right. Well, All right, Dwayne. All right, man. Thanks for the call, brother. Appreciate it. 301-759-2628. Two days in a row for Dwayne. I like Dwayne. Dwayne gets involved. Dwayne's not afraid to get involved. But, yeah, there needs to be some, and that's what I was talking about uh, before Dwayne called in. There's got to be some kind of structure. Yeah, You just can't open it up. It's, it's taken us this long just to get to this point. Right, It's taken us this long in college athletics just to get to the point where players can make money off their name, image, and likeness. Right, It's taken us this long just to get to the point. And he's right. The Supreme Court getting involved and actually in, <laughs> voting in favor of the athletes was kind of a shock. And it was unanimous. It was 9-0. It was, it was, it was a unanimous vote. So... Uh, and this is the first time the Supreme Court got involved in like 30 years, I think, that they've gotten involved in, in something like this. And you hate for it to get all the way to that point. But like Dwayne said, all the lower courts, they sided with the NCAA. And the NCAA does, oh, by the way, need to be kept in check. Because nobody else, nobody does it. The NCAA has had free reign over the student-athletes forever. And the NCAA, I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan because the NCAA is one of the more self-serving associations out there. So somebody needs to keep the NCAA in check. And if it has to be the Supreme Court, then so be it. But these are just, again, the first couple dominoes to fall. It's going to get to the point where they're starting, they're going to, they're going to pay athletes. And as I said, I don't know how you do it. No idea. And I'm glad I'm not the one who has to figure that out. You're going to have to have some kind of structure, some kind of pay scale, some way. And, and we're just talking about football. There's basketball, which I, I would have to assume is you know the second largest revenue generating sport in college, right? But then what happens to I don't know the swimmers? Like do you you, do you pay the swim team? I mean I don't, I don't know. Again, it's going to get it's going to get muddy. It's going to get ugly before it gets better. Does that, does that make sense? Because then you're going to have people complaining. Like once they start paying student athletes, you're definitely going to have people complaining about well, how come this person makes this much, or how come this program makes this much, this player makes that much. How come we don't only get this? We already see that now. The disparity between certain sports and certain programs. That's just going to open up an entirely different can of worms when you start paying student-athletes. Which, again, I don't have a problem with. But it all depends on what the pay scale is and how much these student-athletes make. That if you make X amount to play football like LSU, then you're not getting a scholarship. You're a worker. That's it. You are an employee of the university. And as an employee of the university... 
this is how much this is your paycheck. I mean, that's what it's going to come down to. These two now, they're going to make they're going to make a paycheck, and they can spend that money on whatever they want to. And that's the funny thing about it. Where does the education even factor in? <laughs> All right, that's all we do is talk about money, 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 right? Pay the student athletes. Name, image, and likeness. Educating related benefits. This is all money, money, money. What about getting the kids in class? Like, when does that start to matter? Or that hasn't mattered in a while, has it? Has it? Let's be real. Let's be real. Most of the top-notch players, most of the top-notch recruits, in regards to the sport, all right, a lot of them aren't worried about the education. They're worried about getting to the next level. Problem is, some of them don't make it to the next level. So maybe, you know, whatever money they make in college, that's that's all they get. I don't know. It's it's good. It's so confusing. It, it, it's such a mess. But it seems like more and more people are starting to decide with the athletes. They're starting to side with the student athletes on getting more and more compensation. And if that's the way and that, that's the way it's, it's headed, that's the way it's directed. So don't be stunned. You wake up one day and it's like, all right, here it is. Football, basketball, baseball, softball, swimming, lacrosse, you name it. Floodgates are opened. Let the spending begin. That's what's head down. That's what it's coming to. All right, uh, don't forget tonight, you got Nationals baseball, the Nats, a, a key, as key as it can be anyway, two-game series with Philadelphia. The Nats can sweep both games. They jump ahead of Philly in the NLE standing. That'll be on the station uh, this evening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling, Dwayne. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. See you back here tomorrow at 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I'm Tony C., and I'm done. Bye.